0: Hello and welcome to Valley Lights Church online service. Last year, National Geographic they put out a new documentary called Rebuilding Paradise. And it's about, it's a pretty amazing story about a town in Northern California called Paradise that had a horrible fire go through it in 2018. And it's a story of the documentary is really a story of the town's resilience and um, really people pushing through in the face of tragedy. We actually have some friends that that lived in Paradise and and went through that big fire and they they had to rush out of their home and um, leave a lot of stuff behind. Actually, one of our partner churches is located in Chico, California, which is just a few minutes away. And this church was able to provide a lot of help to this family and a lot of the other families from that town. And I was really encouraged to hear about how our friends held firmly to their hope in God in the middle of all of that disaster. And even though their life was dramatically changed overnight, in fact we were able to visit our friends recently and see the new home that God had provided a few years later and just the way that God has really been good and shown his faithfulness to them. But in the movie, after the fire was over and the flames have died out and they're just looking at the the aftermath, you can see some slow aerial footage panning over the town. And it's amazing, it, it looks more like a war zone than a fire. There, there's just trucks that looked like they were bombed. Houses and buildings were just completely razed to the ground. There was, you know, in, many, in most instances, not even walls left, There's no structure of any kind, just everything burned to, to ashes and dust. The fire was so hot that even just strong metals had melted and things were just, just pushed down to the ground. In California, we are always aware of the possibility of fires breaking out, even in our area, here in Santa Clarita Valley, there's uh, the possibility that a fire could start up very suddenly. My name is Bruce Wood, I'm the lead pastor of Valley Lights Church, and I'd I'd love to get a chance to meet you, so uh, if you leave some contact info or let us know on the connection card that you're here, I'd love to just say hello and thanks for joining us. And in these past few weeks, we have been looking at the topic of relationships in tension. Not everyone has lived through a physical fire like the one up in Paradise, a fire that has threatened your house and your family, but many of us, maybe, maybe all of us, have walked through fire in our relationships. At some point, you've made, you may have had conflict erupt with somebody close to you, and it feels like the relationship has gotten burned to the ground. Uh, maybe some offense has gone un- unaddressed, and so you feel like your trust has been scorched and burned. What do you do when your relationship with somebody is completely fried, and it feels like um, you're, you're living in the aftermath? You're just walking through the rubble and the pieces that, bro- that are broken, and reconciliation doesn't seem to be an option. The pain from broken relationships can last a lifetime. Throughout this series, we've been looking at the history of our history of the very first family, Adam and Eve and their sons, and how things got started for them and the impact that that has on us. They were the very first ones to sin, and so they experienced tr- trouble with God that led to trouble with each other and people ongoing. Um, in their story, we see our story. Uh, our, we can see our default tendencies and, struggles and After Adam and Eve rebelled and they sinned and God pronounced their judgment, here's what what happened next. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, it says, So the Lord God sent him, meaning Adam and his wife Eve, away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. They started out in a beautiful garden paradise But they spent the rest of their lives enduring a new layer of trouble and difficulty. Because of their sin, things spiraled out of control for their sons as well. Um, There was a lot of anger and resentment that was building up in Cain against his brother Abel. And this probably occurred over a a long period of time. But Cain stewed on it. He never addressed it. And he eventually killed his own brother. And God responded to this. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, he says, God said, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So, of course, this led to ongoing pain and difficulty for Cain. He satisfied what his anger and his bitterness wanted him to do. He, he carried that all the way to completion, and it didn't turn out that great for him. Adam and Eve, they must have also carried a tremendous amount of pain for losing one son and then having the other one banished and cast away from them. And I kind of wonder if there was ever reconciliation there between Cain and his parents. Did he ever come back? Did he circle back around and own up to what he did and confess that? And if, he, if not, did Adam and Eve forgive him? Did, were, they, were they ever come, come to a place where they could forgive him for what he did? And, and not to mention, did they forgive each other? I mean, they endured a tremendous amount of conflict with each other as a result of this end, and I wonder if things ever got resolved with them. In the weeks following this huge falling out, this, the fall, in the weeks following that and the curse and all the conflicts, It might have felt for all of them like they were living in a war zone and that things have just completely fallen apart. What do you do if you've got relationships that feel scorched? What if you've got a legitimate offense against somebody? Maybe something's happened in your relationship that's blocking you from having a genuine, open communication and relationship, but the other person is totally unwilling to acknowledge it, is not willing to even have a discussion on it. If you don't deal with it on your end, it can eat you up over the long run. And this can occur in many ways. I mean, maybe you feel like your trust has been violated or, or maybe you just have ongoing disappointment where, you know, every time you relate, you, you just come to expect and anticipate there's going to be fresh irritation and disappointment. Maybe you felt like some of the anger that you felt from, from a problem has converted into bitterness that that's really just going on. And for some there's mistrust that saturates the relationship. And and every time there's another problem or even if it's just a tiny thing it just deepens that chasm and there's a trench growing because the mistrust is what characterizes it. Sometimes hurt from the past can lead us to be feeling very mistrustful and cynical and, and really now now we've got a block that prevents us from um, really tr- trusting people in the future and being able to establish new relationships. Or or maybe there's just the pain of being blocked out from people because of the aftermath of a big falling out and now maybe there's kids or grandkids that, um, or other people in the family that, that you're not able to see. It can feel especially resentful and hurtful if there's if it's come from a a person or a group of people that have claimed to be Christian, it it feels even more unjust. How many years does it take before you forget the pain? Or or do things ever totally heal up? Can things scar over or is there an open wound still? When the relational landscape feels burned and and you're walking through the damage, we can find hope in the pages of the Bible we find that God provides peace even after the damage is done. Let's look at a letter from the Apostle Paul that, that he wrote to one church that was dealing with um, relational conflict, among, among a lot of other things. They, they definitely had that. In Colossians, he writes, So you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things When Paul mentions those earthly things, he's talking about the stuff that comes so natural to us. So it's that bitterness and the mistrust or just being reactive in anger or lying, just not being upfront and honest, withholding affection or love or or using hurtful language. All of that stuff is, is he would call earthly and it comes so easy for us. And it's amazing that we can act those ways with people that, at one point, we really cared about, or maybe people that we live with every day. If I had any doubt as to whether or not sin and a willingness to damage other people lives within my heart, all I got to do is just take a cross-section of, of my relationships from birth to now, and I would see there's, there's been conflict. There's been trouble and a lot to work through. Years ago, there was one guy who needed a ride to church often, and so I would pick him up, and, and we'd go, and he would text me. Sometimes he'd text me last minute, or, or the the frequency of it started to grate on me a little bit, and I was getting a little frustrated. I was, I was feeling inconvenienced about having to drive a little bit out of my way in order to pick him up, and to be honest, it wasn't that unreasonable. <laughs> you would think I would want to do anything I could to help somebody get to church, but not in those days. I was uh, feeling inconvenienced and frustrated, and then I started converting into some resentment. And it's not easy from that point to be judgmental. And all of a sudden, there's, there's a, a wedge and there's a, a distance growing in this friendship because of, because of how I was feeling. And that went on, and eventually God reminded me of my college days where I my wife, who was my girlfriend during college, we, live, we went to two separate colleges, and neither of us had a car. And so every weekend, I would ask a friend, one friend in particular, to borrow the car that she had. And um, I, w- I would get that and be able to make the drive, but I never invested in any amount of kindness in that relationship, apart from what would help me get a car. I was totally using that friendship for, for what was good for me, which was really worse than, than what the frustration I was feeling with my friend years later. And God reminded me, man, I, I, I do the same thing. But it's amazing how easy it is for frustration or anger to lead to, to bitterness. This can, this can build up and it can start fires in our relationships. We tend to think that the problems we have with people are... It's them, it's on them. And so we might burn the relationship and move on to the next person, move on to the next friendship, move on to the next spouse, or or leave that family member behind. But we continue to bring our heart into every new relationship. The bitterness comes with us. The reactive anger comes with us. The disappointment and the grief comes with us. We we may be interacting with a new face, but we've got the same problems. The big turning point in finding peace comes when we confess our need for Jesus. All of that sin and that junk and that, that earthly stuff that lives in our hearts, it keeps us stuck in a realm of darkness. And I've, I've felt that way when I'm, when I'm walking that out. And all of that stuff, that sin, it offends God greatly. It keeps us separated from him. But when we submit to Jesus as our Lord and our ruler, we find forgiveness. Actually, we, our, our uh, relationship with God, which is started out being hostile, is now reconciled. And we become friends and sons and daughters of, of God. We get transferred into a realm of light, which is far better. And incredibly, we get elevated to a high spiritual status right along with Jesus. So Paul says, "...since you have been raised with Christ, seek things above." It says, get above that mess. Don't live that way still. Don't keep living in those damaging strategies. It's possible to submit to Jesus, but then keep, you know, to to become a Christian, essentially, but still live in the old ways. Having our minds soaked in resentment, keeping, you know, keep replaying those offenses in our minds, or reacting emotionally, or using words that are are intended to, to to hurt and to cut. Paul invites us to go up to where Jesus is seated. He's at the throne, the right hand of God. And he says, why don't don't you look down at your life from God's point of view? I want you to go up there and see, how, how does God view my wife? How does God view my mom or my dad or my boss or the other people in my life? And how does God view the way that I handle those relationships? What's God's perspective on the situation that have caused the hurt and the pain that I'm feeling? He sees all of that. He's, he's, he's very engaged and keeps very close attention to what, what's going on. So this letter to the Colossians that was written by Paul, it's coming from a guy who experienced a tremendous amount of pain relationally. He was insulted. He was hated by people. He was even betrayed by people that went back on him. His trust was violated. He, he walked through some fiery relational situations. And yet his heart, Paul's heart and love for people, was unreal. You just read his letters and his concern and his compassion and you see his care. This guy, Paul, he, he was very, very intelligent too. Uh, he was very well educated. And so one commentator writes about Paul that his head was bigger than his body, but his heart was bigger than both. And I'm I'm challenged when I think about that. But Paul writes, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We need to remember that this life will be rocky. We may experience pain and insults from people now. But our true life... You know, as Christ followers, that life that lives forever is securely held by God. Eternal life with Jesus is an invaluable treasure, and it's being protected by him right now. That that life that we're holding out for, it can't be defrauded or injured. It's held safely far out of sight, away from any enemies. And the life that's died, when Paul says we've died, he's talking about that old way of living, that we don't have to we have, we have the option to put off that old junk, that old stuff, that old, those old ways of relating, and we can stop doing the things that come so native and natural to us. Instead, look at the beautiful life that now opens up to us. when he writes in Colossians uh, chapter three verse 12, he says, "Therefore, as God's chosen, chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as and here's this is a huge huge motivation. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Imagine living a life where these qualities are the atmosphere. These are flowing in you. Sometimes you feel that, you know, some people have have said that walking in God's ways are are just, you know, restrictive and confining. There's just too many rules. But this passage describes a lot of freedom. Think about all the time that that we can spend stewing in anger or disappointment, and, and you trade it for this kind of life. We're usually under the sway of other people when they offend us. And everything within us wants to hold a grudge or point the finger or, or remember the pain and rehearse that over and over again. It's so easy to be chained up by resentment or to wallow in wounds that we accept or even cling to. But what Paul is saying is that finding peace in life is not contingent on what other people do. We don't have to live a victim mentality, which is a pretty depressing, confining way to live. That's actually where the restraint comes in. When we turn from our ways and turn to God, he completely, totally forgives us. As Christians, we, we recognize that the God of the universe sent Jesus, his son, to die for us. That there's, when, when we recognize the depth of that and how, how Jesus really died for us and for people, who hated him even, that were totally against an enemy status against him, we realize there's no hurt that we can experience that outweighs the offenses that we have heaped up by disregarding him and doing life our way. Recognizing this, it unlocks the ability for us to totally forgive other people and to release them and release ourselves from the pain. When walking with Jesus... Our spirits are high, our love for people is deep, and we're not ruffled or thrown around by what other people do. There's hope for us, and there's hope for our future relationships. You might be in a position where you're you're desperately wanting things to be reconciled, but it's not coming, it's not working. And you might be very open to doing the hard work of, of getting things smoothed out, but the other person's not willing to do that. or for some people, the pain that you're feeling right now might feel very fresh and raw because you're in the middle of it. Or maybe there's some long-term pain that happened long ago and it just really hasn't healed up. With all of this deep hurt, it can be so easy to ask, God, where are you in the middle of all of this? Why did you let things fall apart? Can't you just bring things back together? And when the pain is deep, it's natural for us to want to point a finger or at least put part of the blame on God because he's in control, right? But what's amazing about this passage and what Paul is is encouraging us in is that it helps us to turn the question around to where we can say, not, not God, why did you do this? But God, why have you so graciously given me, a sinner, a way to find peace? You've given us a way to find peace. And so Paul continues, he says, and let the peace of Christ... To which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that word, it kind of gives this idea of like an umpire rules over a baseball game. Because there was a, you know, back when this was was written, there was Olympic games and there was a director over that who who would preserve the order of the games and keep things from getting wildly out of control. Maybe you've seen a baseball game where both teams storm the infield for a brawl. And that's got to be held under control. Our hearts and our minds are so liable to brawling, to agitation, to getting worked up or firing off like a loose cannon. But the calm peace that Jesus gives can govern our minds. If we walk with him, we can be saved from that inner turmoil. We can be governed by a deep sense of God's love for us, his presence with us, just gratitude for his friendship and his forgiveness and a solid hope for the life that's to come. This doesn't ease the pain of a broken relationship, but it does mean that we can keep moving forward. It may feel like we're limping forward, but we're not stalled out or disabled. A big focus in this letter is that as a life that is overflowing with gratitude and thankfulness. Even in the middle of messy or scorched relationships, we can find peace that bubbles up even into song Our hearts can sing when we look at what God has done for us. So practically, what are some ways that this looks? If you're needing to move forward in the middle of a mess or in the middle of of a fiery relationship, here are some ways to walk with joy amid the wreckage. First, it may help to work through the hurt with someone who can be trusted. When we get stuck in our heads, and in our minds, and we're just soaking in our own emotion, the pain tends to just grow. It may be tempting to stuff the hurt, but unforgiveness tends to be highly emotional, and sometimes bringing someone else in to see can be a little less emotional, a little more unbiased about it. They may be less emotionally swayed. In Genesis 4, we've looked at how God gave Cain a chance to see his anger towards his brother Abel, but Cain refused. He, he didn't even respond to God. He didn't open up to anybody. He didn't talk to anybody about his anger and his bitterness. He didn't work through it. And he just followed the way he felt to the natural conclusion and the outlet. He murdered his own brother. You might not be on that level of extreme, but it highlights the reality that, that we're likely to do damage of some kind if we don't work through our resentment. Um, We're likely to damage other people. That can happen. But certainly, it's pretty self-damaging. We always damage ourselves when we get into that. God may have placed some people in your life right now who can give you wise counsel to sort through how you're feeling. Another way to walk with joy amid the wreckage is to, you may need to actually forgive someone before God. You may need to, to walk through forgiveness. Forgive and forget that's, that sentiment is cultural, we, that's said around us, but it's not a biblical sentiment. It's pretty hard to just forgive, and forget and just move on without, without any other work. It's, we tend to replay the memory of wrongs done against us, and then all of a sudden the, the painful emotions just resurface again. Followers of Christ are, are commanded to forgive. People, actually every person in our life, we should look out at our relationships and see that Forgiveness has been extended all around us. But this is hard. There, there's, there's two components that make this challenging. The first one is a decisional aspect where we make a decision, I'm going to forgive this person for the wrong they've done. But then there's an emotional component where we have to keep wrestling with it. We don't just forget it right away. We have to wrestle with the feelings until eventually I can let go of the hurt in my heart. That, that first step of, of making the decision... We decide, uh, we'll identify the wrong, here's where I've been wronged, I forgive them, I decide to forgive them and I'm gonna refuse to bring it up again or to use it against them. And then after that one-time decision, there's this, this ongoing need to keep forgiving. And it may take a long time, it may take years, it may take decades, but we, we might replay the hurt or there, there may be fresh hurt an offense that, that keeps continuing, that keeps causing it to resurface. Total forgiveness is a lifelong commitment that, in some cases, we need to, to replay every day. There's a lot more that, that goes into that, and I'd like to suggest a book called Total Forgiveness, written by Kendall, a man named R.T. Kendall. It's a really helpful tool that, that dives more into this. Biblically and practically, how do you walk through this process? Because it's, it's a very challenging one. Another thing that we need to do to walk in joy is we got to do everything that we can on our end. God commands us to work hard for unity and reconciliation in our relationships. In fact, that's, that's what last week's message was all about. And you can actually check that out online or on our podcast. But a big part of this is I've got to get really honest with myself about any role that I've played. In creating damage or contributing to it, even if it's the smaller part. There's rarely, maybe never, a situation where the offense is totally one-sided. God tells us in Romans twelve eighteen, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It would be great to live with the knowledge that I, I truly have done everything within my power and ability to bring reconciliation, even if it's required a lot of sacrifice and cost. Sometimes for me there, there's a shred of pride that I'm holding on to and I'm just resistant and reluctant to take ownership and I just feel like it would be in, unjust to do that and that holds me back from taking the necessary step to bring healing that's needed. But you can ask yourself and I can ask myself standing before God can I truly say that I have done everything I can do And after that, if it's still broken, we can walk in the peace that God provides. And finally, we can keep loving sacrificially. We're told in Proverbs to never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, then you'll find favor and high regard with God and people. It may be tempting to just try to reconcile one time and say, you know what, that didn't work. I'm just going to drop that person. But if we continue over time to show love and faithfulness to people over the long haul, God just might use that years later to bring healing in the relationship down the road. This kind of ongoing love is sacrificial because it requires that we dig deep and stay soft-hearted. And really, this if we do this, it's going to require that we keep drawing from the incredible love that Jesus has for us. As we bring this message series to a close, I want to show you that the the ending of the story of Adam and Eve. We've been tracing through their story, and there's a ray of hope at the end. It's kind of great. After the mess, Adam and Eve rebuild. In Genesis 4, 25, it says, Adam was intimate with his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another offspring in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and named, he named him Enosh. And check this out. Here's the hope. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. This is a reversal from what had happened. Even after all the pain of being evicted from the garden, and the death of one son, and the banishment of another, Adam and Eve moved forward to rebuild for the future. They were able to put things back together. After losing their first two sons, they they had more children and they shared God's assignment when he told them initially to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Amazingly, their children and grandchildren started turning to their creator and responding to God. Our friends who lived in paradise during the time of that, that awful fire a few years ago, they eventually went back to assess what was left because... They wanted to see if any of their possessions and belongings were still there. They had to leave very much in a hurry. I mean, they just basically ran out the door. And what they found was amazing. Actually, there was a news article put out about what they found. But there, you, you see the article and you see a, a picture of their home, the remains of it. There's just some remains of a chimney, but nothing else. No walls, nothing. Just everything completely leveled. Um, they went through to see if they could find anything Jake was a, is a law enforcement agent and so they, in the bedroom they found his gun locker with the guns that had melted and the fire was so hot. But there was one thing that his wife was very, very eager to find and she was desperate to find and he kept sifting through the rubble and he found it. It was his wife's wedding ring that somehow didn't melt or burn to the ground. Out of everything that could have been saved, That ring, it was a symbol of the one thing that was more important than any of their possessions. All of the stuff that this world has to offer is temporary. But God has designed people and relationships to last forever. So let us do everything within our power to genuinely, deeply love those that God has placed around us. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your love for us and the way that you care for us and the way that you have bridged that huge gap of our our sin and selfishness and you rescue us from darkness. Thank you, Jesus, for making that sacrifice for us. Very many times we get offended or hurt or angry by people and things get messed up and relationships get burned. Would you help us to walk in your ways to please you and to remember your incredible Love and forgiveness for us as a way to motivate us towards walking in freedom and love of other people. Would you allow us to build a community of people with healthy, encouraging relationships? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I hope you come back next week and we'll see you next time.